0: And a pleasant good afternoon to you on the Daily Dose of Hoops podcast. Jaden Daly here with you, heating up with this holiday season. And with the holidays comes conference play. And the Big East opens for everyone but St. John's and DePaul, who already contested theirs back on December 7th. Now it's time to get into the rest of the conference. And for that, there's only one person who can best convey the Big East. That's the man who... Has just about every working title under the sun with Fox Sports, play-by-play. He's writing again, which is excellent. He's hosting podcasts on the field of 68, and he's going to be calling a game for them, too, between Furman and Stephen F. Austin. Yes. And that is the one and only, our first-ever podcast guest, back for, I believe it's the third time now. We, we can't ever turn him down. It's
1: John Fanta. John, how are you, my friend? Oh, I'm doing great, Jaden. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me, and it's such a fun time of year because you've got the holiday season in full swing. College basketball's in an interesting zone. We're sort of held at bay as I talked to you on this Wednesday, December the 14th. This week is finals week, so a lot of programs are in the midst of tests and all that wrapping up their semester. But this upcoming weekend, things really get real. On Saturday, there's five ranked versus ranked games, There's conference play. There will be four Big East games between Friday and Saturday. Nine Big East games, Jaden Daly, between Friday and until Christmas. So it's going to be an interesting year in this league. I think the league, if I had to forecast it off the top here, it has not had as strong of a year as we thought it would to this point. Having said this, In an 11-team league, your goal is always going to be to get five or six to the NCAA tournament, preferably six. I don't think that the conference is in a place right now where you could say they're going to get six, but, but we have witnessed teams really come on as the year goes on in this league once certain coaches find out what their DNA is. The interesting dimension this year is certain coaches are new to this league. There's a whole new dynamic to this conference, and I think out of all the takeaways in the Big East, there's a whole lot of unknowns in the middle. Who's going to shake out and where? But there's a clear front runner, and they hail from Storrs, Connecticut, and that's the fact that Dan Hurley has his best Huskies team in his tenure, and this is the best Connecticut team that we've seen in several years.
0: You talked about UConn, John, and we'll lead in with the Huskies, number three in the nation, number one in Ken Palm, number one in the net. Just about anything that could go right for Dan Hurley and his team has gone right in these first six weeks of the season, John. The bid wins in Portland during the PK-85. What has impressed you the most about how this team has come
1: together? Their depth. They're the deepest team in the country. The fact that they have no drop-off. The luxury of having Adama Sonogo start at the center position – Then he takes a breather and you bring in a seven-foot-two Kling Kong that is Donovan Klingon. It is crazy to think about. The Huskies do not have holes. And when you lose R.J. Cole and Tyrese Martin, among others, the instantaneous thought process was, well, Cole and Martin did so much for them, so how are they going to find an alpha? Who's going to be that guy? Jaden, I don't even know if this team has an alpha. But the sum's greater than all their parts because their parts are really, really, really good. And it could be a different guy on a given night. And in today's college basketball, it's hard to find teams where you could say that about them. Andre Jackson epitomizes leadership. What he does for the Huskies doesn't even fully come up in a box score. Jordan Hawkins already has more threes this season than I think he had all of last year. I'm almost positive that's the case. I, I believe I read that earlier this week. He's big time. I mean, he, his shot is automatic. He's making things happen for them on the perimeter. And I think others are feeding off that Alex caraban has been a, a surprise. I didn't expect this from Caravan. He's fit well into this power forward slot and stretches the floor. Jaden, watch him shoot the ball. I would, I would encourage all fans. Cause everybody listening to this podcast. You're a hoophead. You love your college basketball. Watch the rotation on Caravan shot. It is a thing of beauty, silky smooth. So they've got it. They have it. Point guard play, that was a key question, but Tristan Newton has embraced his role. Nahima Alin and Hassan Diar are helping out. UConn doesn't require any one guy to be great for them to beat anybody in the country. They are that good, and there's no shortage of options. Yes, teams get injured and battered sometimes as the year goes on. I'd be curious to see what would happen. But they are not a team that, that's a one or two or three-trick pony. They have a ton of different ways they can beat you. And defense and rebounding is a constant under Dan Hurling. This team can score the ball, and they can score it in a variety of ways. The Huskies are a legit national championship contender Because if you're an opposing coach, when you're scouting for them, you get to a point in the scout where you say, we got to hope that this doesn't happen because we're going to have to live with it tonight. We're going to have to pick our poison. UConn is a pick your poison team.
0: And you were on the call this past Saturday up at Gamble Pavilion to see UConn put up 114 points on LIU. And it was almost just effortless to a sense, John, where everything that, could go right did again and this UConn team just did not miss a beat offensively 62 points in the first half Donovan Klingon with a 20 point game off the bench he's a a machine and a a freak physically at seven foot two seven foot three but what about him in general just stands out head and shoulders above the rest of this conference
1: monstrous uh, and and a demeanor that's just so level-headed and he's got feel, Jaden. He really has feel for the game. He's embraced his role. Sometimes big guys, sometimes big guys are uncomfortable with their size and uncomfortable with where they are on the floor. Donovan Klingon's very comfortable with who he is and what and with what his role is with this team. So that's what stood out to me about Donovan thus far this season is for a freshman, his feel for the game's pretty good. And he knows where he needs to be on the floor for others to set him up defensively elite rim protector, elite rim protector. And as a, a person, Jaden, he loses his mother, Stacy, to cancer tragically in 2018. How many times have you and I encountered the player or coach who, because they've gone through a very hard period in their life, they have a toughness to them. They have a, a maturity to them. And as sad as that was, Donovan plays every day for his mother. And you can just sense that when you watch him. You can really sense that when you watch him. He stayed home in Connecticut. He feels at home in Connecticut. To me, what stands out is not just his size, but his overall feel for the game and the maturity beyond his years for a freshman that's at his height. He doesn't need the basketball in his hands to make an impact.
0: Talking to John Fanta, Fox Sports, Field of 68, BD's Digital Network, previewing the BD's Conference as lead play resumes in full swing. You mentioned Some teams and some coaches that have come on this season maybe ahead of schedule, and we'll go halfway across the country to Milwaukee and talk about the job that Shaka Smart has done this season at Marquette. The big win at home over Baylor in the Big East Big Twelve battle, twenty-six point victory at Fiserv Forum, ninety-six to seventy. Shaka's team, I thought going into this season, was a year away from really being a top four, top five contender but what has impressed you the most about how the Golden Eagles have adjusted through November and December? Yeah, they had a tough loss in overtime against Wisconsin last week, but what about Marquette suggests that maybe this year might be the one the one in which they turn the corner?
1: No, well, what's suggested is they have one of the best guards in America in Cam Jones. He's a bucket, and he showed it some as a freshman, but now this is his team as a sophomore, and he and Tyler Kolek combined to form a really formidable Backcourt, they have a nice flow to them offensively they're averaging 82 points per game Jaden, i would have never been able to predict that that would be the case at this point in the season they're shooting 49 and a half percent from the floor they're averaging nine made threes per game how is that possible when you lose a player as good as justin lewis and you didn't make a major upgrade in the transfer portal you know how it's possible shaka smart said we're going to buy into development. We're going to do things the old school way. I couldn't do this at Texas. I couldn't do this at Texas where I'm I'm getting judged by how many stars are next to a kid's name. That's just how life is down in Austin. But this Marquette team, they have balance. And they've been able to achieve it with guys developing their games. Olivier Maxence Prosper has been a different player this year, averaging over 15 points per game. It's been surprising to see that. Oso Igadaro, I thought would take a leap that has happened David Joplin David Joplin's a sophomore who's not averaging a ton of minutes per game but at six foot seven presents some matchup problems his jump shots come on the point is they're able to run pick and roll and Tyler Kolek's gotten better in ball screens and making plays for others Kolek to me is really the guy that is the head of the snake in being able to create their offense and and make things happen for them through the course of a game. And that's illustrated 86 assists, Jaden, 86 assists to just 28 turnovers. You got 86 assists in 11 games. You're having a pretty nice year. So for me, it hasn't, it's been unexpected, but like there's been some finesse to this. It hasn't been all toughness. They're scoring the basketball really effectively. They have a top 20 Ken Palm offense. If you had told me at the start of the season Marquette would be better than expected, you know what I would have said? I would have said, oh, they must be guarding the heck out of teams. And they're guarding. They are. They're forcing 16 turnovers per game. But Jaden Daly, they're outscoring people. And that's something that opposing teams are going to have to get used to because I don't think a team would have necessarily known how to scout defensively for what Marquette is going to do when they're on offense. And that's been the case here this season. Marquette's been much more efficient offensively than I thought they would be because, look, Lewis was a great player, and he really kept them going at times when they needed to. And don't forget about Daryl Morcel. Shaka Smart is a candidate for Big East Coach of the Year.
0: Absolutely is. And how refreshing is it, John, to see what Shaka is doing now at Marquette, almost a high major version of what made him a household name at VCU? Very much so.
1: And I think it's refreshing to just see a, a Midwest program not named Creighton or Xavier step up in the Big East a little bit more. And, and for Marquette, like Marquette needed to step up. They needed to step up. The Steve Wojciechowski era did not go well. It was pretty much a failure. And Shaka can be himself at Marquette. He wasn't himself. I talked with people down, at, down in Austin two weeks ago, Jaden, covering Texas and Creighton. And I said, so what do you think of Shaka Smart? And everybody said good about him. Nobody had a bad thing to say about Shaka Smart. Nobody. They said it just didn't fit. Sometimes there's something to be said about a marriage. There might be two really good people, two great parties in a marriage. They just don't work out for whatever reason. They're, they're happier, Without each other, for Shaka, being at Marquette is a lot more closely aligned to what being at BCU was, but just another level up, and he's in Wisconsin, which is where he's from, which is where he's from. So it's been refreshing to watch. I got to tell you, if you asked me to make a team a, a list of teams that I'm most fascinated to watch in Big East play, Marquette would be right near the top of the list, if not at the top of the list, because I want to see if this continues for them. Wins over Notre Dame. Baylor, a great game with Wisconsin. If they had beaten Wisconsin, they're a top 25 team right now. But I'm really curious to see what happens Friday night when they host the Creighton Blue Jays. Boy, Jaden, how much has the meaning of that game changed over the last three, four weeks? It's crazy how much that game has changed. And then I'm curious to see what the Golden Eagles do here their schedule early in conference play is not easy. Home to Creighton at Providence. Home Seton Hall at Villanova, who's better, and then at St. John's. And I don't know about you, but Tuesday, January 3rd, I'm planning to go over to Queens for St. John's and Marquette.
0: Oh, very nice. Uh, maybe we can have some pre-game dinner before that. Talking <laughs> to John Fanta, Fox Sports, Field of 68, Biddy's Digital Network. You mentioned Creighton, so we'll go right into the Blue Jays here. And this is a tale of two teams already six weeks into the year. Creighton was a top five, top ten team when the season tipped off at a potential Final Four contender. Now the Blue Jays have lost, I believe it's five in a row, including its most recent one to Arizona State. What's going
1: wrong in Omaha lately, John? What's going wrong is Creighton's defensive backbone that they had early in the season – has not been intact as of late. They've looked soft. They haven't been dictating games. They've been the one responding from the opening punch. Now, I think there's a couple of things that you got to consider. And I know that sometimes we get into to analytics too much. And Jaden, you might say, well, you know, we 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 overdo it with that. I know you won't, but others do. Uh, in luck, in Ken Palm luck. Creighton is three (laughs) fifty six. That's pretty tough. I mean, they've had a couple of late, late possession games with BYU and Arizona state. They haven't gotten good looks, but things haven't gone their way either. They've just been on a bad run. It's shocking to see them lose five in a row, but perimeter shooting Jaden Daly's got to be better for this team. Their, their perimeter shooting in some of these losses has been pretty porous. I mean, They just haven't been able to find their shooting stroke in in some of these games, and it's really led to them having a tough time. They made 11 threes against Arizona State. Um, They made 10 threes against BYU. Against Nebraska, they shot 10 of 40 from three. Now, you shouldn't be taking 40 threes. And over the course of two games against Nebraska and Texas, the Blue Jays shot folks that combined 14 of 67 from beyond the arc. That's too many threes. To me, Ryan nemhardt has been struggling. They got to get him right. It feels like Nemhardt and Alexander, Trey Alexander, when one's on, the other isn't. You got to remember, last year was build a rebuilding year for Creighton because in a lot of ways it was. They didn't come on until late in the season. How much does having the target on your backs, which you very much did not have last year, how much is that impacting things? I think it's impacting things quite a bit. Do I think that they'll get back on track? Yes. Do I still think they're the second-best team in the Big East? I would put a big question mark next to that now.
0: How much do you feel the loss of Ryan Kalkbrenner has turned things against the Blue Jays in recent weeks?
1: Absolutely. And and that's the other thing. You're shorthanded. You're without Kalkbrenner. And and based on what I've heard, it sounds like Kalkbrenner wasn't right. Even in the games previous to the ones that he missed in Las Vegas, and, and that's that's truly indicating the results. I mean, to lose at home to Nebraska was really eye popping. Nobody could have seen that coming. And Calkrunner, he went for ten and ten in the game, but defensively, he really struggled at times. He looked a step slow. So, but here's the thing, Jaden, Calkrunner or not, this team shouldn't lose five games in a row, right? Right. Absolutely. So I think it's played a part. And I think you're seeing why the coaches have voted Ryan call big East defensive player of the year, why he's gotten voted as such. That tells me sometimes we rip coaches apart when they vote the way they do. Like we'll say, God, that's, that's not good voting by the coaches or, or here's why it should have been this guy. But I will say this. I always look at defensive player of the year as one that I understand with what coaches are saying, because guess what? We're finding out why the coaches voted for Kalkbrenner as top defensive player by the way Creighton's been playing lately without him. And the fact is Creighton's interior defense is nowhere near the same without the seven-footer in place. They miss him greatly. They need him back. I don't think they'll have him on Friday night against Marquette, and I think that Creighton could lose at Marquette. In fact, I'll, I'll say this. Marquette should be favored Friday night in that game. I think Marquette will win that game.
0: Old statement from John Fanta. BD's Digital Network, Fox Sports Field of 68. As we preview the BD's getting back into conference play, John, we talked about defense. We'll segue into a team near and dear to your heart, your alma mater, the Seton Hall Pirates. You had to call it Jersey Mike's Arena, the rack, this past Sunday when Seton Hall won a 45-43 meat grinder over Rutgers. You have the call tonight as we record this Wednesday, December fourteenth, when the Pirates host Drexel in their final non-conference tune-up at the Prudential Center before Providence comes into town on Saturday. And John, year one under Shaheen Holloway was always going to be a work in progress. It's a one eighty in a sense from what we've grown accustomed to from Kevin Willard. More of an emphasis on defense. More of an emphasis on a full team dynamic where there's no true alpha. It could be any one of four or five guys you saw this past Sunday that Casey DeDefo made a lot of plays when it mattered, as he has throughout his career. Tyree Samuel came into play. Al Dawes has really made the motor run in the backcourt whenever Kadari Richmond has been ineffective. John, we'll take the temperature of the Pirates here. First month of the year under Shaw, would you say it's lived up to expectations? What more needs to be addressed, and how concerned are you with how they've performed in the non-conference to to this day?
1: Well, I think it's lived up to expectations. I think it's what you probably should have expected, because how could you not? That they're going to be rooted in defense. That's their DNA. They're currently 33rd in Ken Palm adjusted defensive efficiency. I think that I expected the offense to be better than it's been. And I I thought that because, to me, Kadari Richmond can be an elite point guard. To me, Jameer Harris, Trey Jackson can be knockdown shooters. Tyree Samuel has taken a leap. He's been better. Alamir Dawes is a good shooter and has been good percentage-wise. But for whatever reason, they have not had the full-on, offensively in-sync performance. And I think that that's where what we've seen, that we were unsure of heading into the year, is a group that has had a level of disconnect between the returnees and the newcomers, and by virtue of the current climate in college basketball. But, but Sunday, the season changed for Seton Hall. They found their identity and they won with it. When you can win, after all the strife they had been through in recent weeks, and you can win in Piscataway, a place where Rutgers was 20-3 and the previous two years combined, that's a massive program win for Seton Hall. And, Jaden, it's a win that changes the arc of your season because if you lose that game, you're sitting here saying, well, you know, the NIT is the step this year, I guess. That's what you're saying. That's what you're saying. By winning that game and possessing a pair of Quadrant One wins now, you're saying, look, we've got a blemish against Siena. And, Jaden, I think that's the one unexpected. That loss to Siena was a rough loss. you got to give immense credit to the Saints. They played well, and and they played so hard in that game to win it. Huge win for the Mac, huge win for Siena, who I really like as a group. But I think for Seton Hall, that was a disappointment after the buzzer beater win over Memphis. If Seton Hall beats Siena, we're really talking differently about them. We're talking about, hey, they're going to they're be a team that hangs around the NCAA tournament conversation. I don't know if we're ready to say that right now. But we could. We could if, if, if things continue to, to break. The key for this team is going to be this. How do they make teams uncomfortable with the way they play? They made Rutgers uncomfortable inside Rutgers' own building. If you could do that, you could do that against a lot of other teams. But Jaden Daly, they need Alexis Yetna to be a part of that because the fact is this, at some point talent wins. Seton Hall doesn't have the talent to stop Adama Sunogo and Donovan Klingon, the talent to stop Ryan Kalkbrenner when he's fully healthy, to stop Jack Nungy and Zach Fremantle. So that's going to be really hard. They have got to figure things out in terms of how they're playing a little bit more, especially on the offensive end, because at some point – You're going to have to score some points, but this team changed their season on Sunday. They have a pulse. And if they could find a way to win their conference opener on Saturday at the Prudential Center, by the end of Saturday, it will be what a difference a week has made. Seton Hall is going to be a factor this season. It just took a little bit of time. Would you not agree? I do agree with that. I felt going into the year that this team would hit its
0: best stride around early to mid-February and parlay that into a strong March. And without Yetna, what they've done so far has impressed me in a lot of ways. And, John, you've been around St. Peter's just as well as I have the last couple of years. To have a guy like Casey Nadefo who knows Shah's system and knows what to expect, the impact that he has given this Seton Hall team, it's impossible
1: to quantify. Would you not agree with that? He won them the game on Sunday. He won in the game on Sunday. And do you know why I didn't bring up his name when bringing, when talking about the team, because of what Shaheen Holloway told us yesterday with Casey Nadefo, you always know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. He is the constant. He's one of the most underrated players, underappreciated players in the country. Casey Nadefo can do it all. He really can. His fingerprints are all over a game. He defends it at an elite level. He had the block on Sunday night in the final minute that changed the game. Offensively, I think he's gotten better as a player. Jaden, he's got his feels gotten better for the game. So he's the guy. I mean, he's the bricklayer in South Orange. He's the guy that Shaheen Holloway is counting on to instill everything else for this program. And I think Casey Nadefo's done just that.
0: Talking to John Fanta, Fox Sports, Field of 68, BDS Digital Network. Seton Hall opens its bid east season on Saturday at the Prudential Center against the Providence Friars. And Providence comes in at eight and three. We'll have a separate podcast coming out Friday previewing that game with Kevin McNamara and Matt Lachlan talking about the Friars and Pirates. John, Providence, aside from being 18 and 0, when you do the play by play for the Friars and Ed Cooley, eight and three in the non conference, they've gotten a lot of mileage from three transfers, Bryce Hopkins, the Kentucky expatriate, Devin Carter, who played at South Carolina, and Noah Locke by way of Florida and Louisville. How much have those three mitigated the losses of Nate Watson, of Noah Horkler, of Justin Minaya? How much has the culture been maintained in the 401 amid a lot of turnover that may have given re- some people reason to be skeptical for Red Cooley coming off of a regular season title in
1: a Sweet Sixteen? Well, first and foremost, Ed Cooley has told us throughout this season that this team has not found their identity yet. They have not found their full-on toughness yet that you're accustomed to seeing out of Providence teams that are successful. So the culture stays the same, and that's indicative with the types of kids that Ed brings in. And who he's bringing in, who he's identifying, Bryce Hopkins is a guy, Jaden, that I think is poised to be the leader for this team and one of the best five or six players in the Big East Conference. If Bryce Hopkins stays around at Providence, because he is getting some looks from the NBA, if he comes back next year, he could win player of the year in the Big East. He's that good. And you're going to get to see him firsthand on Saturday, and we'll all get to see him in the Big East. And I think the matchup between Hopkins and Casey Nadefo, which isn't it interesting, last March, Bryce Hopkins was on the end of the bench at Kentucky, very emotional and sad, thinking, where's my next stop going to be because I'm not playing here? Well, now he's at Providence, and the guy that's guarding him is going to be the guy that he watched jumping for joy and going crazy because he had just upset Kentucky in the NCAA tournament in Casey Nadefo. How fascinating is that storyline to this matchup between Providence and Seton Hall? To me, with the Friars, they're a team that, on the offensive end of the floor, they need Jared Bynum to keep elevating. The fact is, Ed Croswell and Jared Bynum were good complementary pieces last year. Now they're being counted on to be primary pieces, and frankly, Bynum's had trouble being at the top of an opposing team scout. I really like Devin Carter. Devin Carter's a guy, Ed Cooley calls him an add water guy. You know what that means, Jaden? It's like when you have the mac and cheese in the microwave and all you have to do is add some water to it. That that means he's really easy to coach and he's he's easy to put out there. Devin Carter defends at a high level. He makes things happen. To me, though, Noah Locks had ups and downs, okay? Um, Bynum's had his ups and downs. I really like the freshman Jaden Pierre, but he's just a freshman. I think that this Providence team like Seton Hall, like what you said with Seton Hall is going to come on more and more and could be very dangerous come March. The question's going to be, will it be too little too late, or will they build enough for their resume? They're eight and three right now, but they lack a quality win. They don't have a signature win. They've got a nice chance at Seton Hall to get up a solid win. That would be a good win for them. But can they rack up enough as the season goes on? I think they're going to be in the middle of the ball jam, but then that comes down to who do you beat and how do you build the resume? They're 7-0 at home. Seven of their eight wins have come inside their building, and all of them, Jaden, have been by games. So will they be able – they're going to have to do some resume building in conference play, and I'm not totally sure if they have the it factor to be an NCAA tournament team. But I've learned you can never doubt Ed Cooley. The key is going to be – Can they? Will Hopkins realize that he just has to be the alpha, and will he will them? Because Bynum hasn't been that guy, and I don't know if he's going to be that guy. Can he make the right plays in the point guard spot? And can Providence develop more of a toughness than they've had against some of these good teams? Another opportunity knocks on Saturday. One more thing on Providence. In 2020, excuse me, in 2019-20, Jaden Daly, when the first net report came out, Providence was 146. And remember, they, they were on their way to the NCA tournament had, the, had COVID not come into play with Luan Pipkins and company. This year, when the first net report came out, Providence was 145. So it's a long season. Cooley knows how to get his teams better as the year goes on. Will they be able to do enough in a Big East that's not as strong in terms of resume opportunities? Can Providence do enough to make it? To me, that's what the Big East comes down to, to get a fifth or sixth bid. Will a team in that area of St. John's, Providence, Seton Hall, Butler, will we see one of those teams get up to like 12 conference wins or 13 conference wins and really make a case to the committee? Because if you're 10-10 and and you're Providence and you're 10-10, and you're going to be firmly on the bubble this particular season, in my opinion.
0: You brought up Butler. We're talking to John Fanta, Fox Sports, Field of 68, BD's Digital Network, and Butler is another one of those teams I thought would Get better as the year went on, year one under Thad Mata and his return to the college basketball ranks. We haven't seen much of the Bulldogs here in New York and New Jersey. John, what can you tell us about this team that suggests the future is bright and this team is on track to potentially
1: be a bid stealer or an at-large come March? Well, what makes you believe in Butler is that they've got a head coach who's won 75% of the games that he's been on the sidelines for and you know what else makes you believe in Butler? They've gotten better as the year's gone on. This Bulldogs team has won five of their last six games. They're 8-3 and three on the season. They blew out a, a bad Cal team, but they blew them out. They did what they needed to. They beat a Yale team that gave Kentucky some fits. Butler has gotten better, and they haven't even been at full strength. Just this past weekend, they were without Ali Ali, the Akron transfer, Jalen Thomas as well, the big man. John Michael Malloy, and then Miles Tate was out with an illness. But they've just pieced it together, and they've pieced it together because at the end of the day, Jaden Daly, Seamus, Lukosius, and Chuck Harris are very good players. They're they're very talented players. They've gotten better. I think they've become more efficient. In the win over Cal, they went for a combined nine assists to just three turnovers. And to me, the sophomore forward, Jaden Taylor, is one of the most improved players in the Big East. He's found out who he is and has really found his game. Eric Hunter Jr. was a, an invaluable transfer portal ad by Fab Mata because what it does is it allows Harris and Lukosius to do what their best at score. It allows Hunter to be the traffic cop. And, and we haven't even brought up Manny Bates. Manny Bates is a man. He is a man. Two years ago for NC State was one of the, the leading shot blockers. He's been great for the Bulldogs at protecting the rim, had four blocks against Cal. And, and has really packaged together some nice performances. I mean, he, he has been an absolute beast, a beast of a, of a man for them inside. And guess what, Jaden? In a year in the Big East where there's Coughbrenner, Sanogo, Joel Soriano, Nungi, and Fremantle, and, and Iguodaro, there's so many strong big men. Butler's really been soft on the interior the last couple of years. Not anymore. Bates gives them some toughness. The Dogs are a dangerous team. I mean, we talked about them being a sleeper in the preseason. They very much could be that here. And I think out of the teams in the middle, Butler might be the one that fascinates me the most just because there's an unknown level with a first-year head coach, but also some talent that I don't think everybody fully assumed that some of these guys would get as good as they've been here lately. So I'm really intrigued to see UConn at Butler Saturday night. I think for the Bulldogs, they're going to be in that game. Because Bates can contain UConn enough in the front court to give them a chance. That game will be closer than most people expect. That's my prediction.
0: Hinkle Magic, perhaps, against the Huskies in the Bid East opener for both sides, talking the John Fanta, Fox Sports, Bid East Digital Network, field of 68. What other team in the Midwest with a first year Bid East head coach? Sean Miller and his second go-around at Xavier and the Musketeers have the NCAA tournament resume. They played Duke and Gonzaga in Portland in the PK-85. You mentioned Zach Fremantle and Jack Dungey, the two-headed monster down low. How about Sule Boom, John, as one of perhaps the best transfers to come into the country, let alone uh, as a Big East newcomer?
1: How much life has he given the Musketeers in the backcourt? He's given them tempo. He's given them offense. He's given them a real burst. They, they hit a different gear when Sule Boom is on, which he's been on for most of the year. Xavier's 13th in the country in, in Kempom offensive efficiency, and they're 28th in tempo, and Boom's the biggest reason for that. He makes them go. He makes things happen. I like the way that this team has been assembled, and I think by bringing in Boom from UTEP, he surprised us all. We couldn't have seen him. Panning out to, to what he's panned out to be, but when I look at Xavier, I see a team that has a front court duo in Jack Nungy and Zach Fremantle that have been able to, to figure each other out and play better basketball this year. I think Kobe Jones is a, a really talented wing who can play make and and do some different things for them. I think the key for Xavier Jaden as conference play beckons is is depth, depth because their starting five is as good as any starting five in the Big East. To me, it's what can they get out of some of their complementary pieces as the season goes on? Can Sean Miller grow that seven- or eight-man rotation to a point that they really can rely upon them game in and game out? I mean, uh, against Southern on Tuesday night, Desmond Claude played 22 minutes. Claude, the freshman, has had to go through a freshman transition. He's had some growing pains there. Jerome Hunter has his ups and downs. And Cam Craft played 13 minutes, another guy who's a freshman, so it's hard to know what you're getting game to game. My point is I love Xavier starting five, and I think they're they're more than good enough to be a, a very tough team in the Big East. They have to get better defensively. That's the one thing with Xavier. When you think of great Xavier teams, you think of an edge that they have. They play you physically. They really get up in you defensively. I don't sense that with this group yet, and I think it's what's kept them from beating Duke or beating Gonzaga or beating Indiana. They're a good team, though. Xavier could be a Sweet 16 team if they develop more of a defensive edge.
0: You talked about teams with good starting fives and depth being a concern. We'll go to the hilltop in D.C., and here's Georgetown with Patrick Ewing, the embattled Hoyas head coach, Georgetown, Seems like it's gotten back on the right track in recent weeks. The win over South Carolina, the win over Siena. And even in a loss to Syracuse, the Hoyas do look like they've turned the corner a little bit. A Cook and do Swahab up front. Brandon Murray and Primo Spears in the backcourt, along with Jay Heath. Three veteran transfers who have brought experience and much-needed intensity to this Hoya roster, John. Was it just a case of needing time to get everything to come together? Where do you see this Georgetown team going into lead play?
1: Well, I see a team that's got to win some games. I mean, they're five and six on the year. They have struggled defensively, and they've struggled to close. They should have beaten South Carolina. They didn't because they didn't execute well when the scenarios called for it. They came back at Texas Tech. The the thing about Georgetown is this. They have enough talent. They've got talented players: Primo Spears, Jay Heath, Brandon Murray are all talented pieces. And and a cook, a cook, I think they've got him playing more of a way that, that he can succeed than was President UConn. It's just it's a it's a more proper fit for a cook. I don't know if the way that UConn plays totally fit a cook. The problem with me, Jaden, is I don't know if Wahab has gotten that much. Better, in fact, I thought he regressed in Maryland, and I haven't seen the Wahab we saw two years ago. So look, they're a team. They've got talented guards. They're going to surprise some teams because they do have enough talent. They're going to be in Big East games. The problem is they just don't know how to win, and that's evident because you see their five and six record, and they're a combined. If you if you look at, it, they haven't played a. a they haven't played a quad one game. So they're 0-3 against quad two and 0-2 against quad three. So they they have had struggles just finding ways to win games. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're just not very good on the defensive end of the floor. So, you know, it's, it's tough. The pressure's on to win. They're going to have to do it. Conference play starts in an unforgiving way. Home Xavier at UConn. Brutal. Brutal way to start. Then they go to DePaul. That could be a must-win game for them at DePaul after Christmas. So, look, it's not going to be easy. Uh, nobody said it would be. They've got some soul-searching to do on the hilltop because it's tough. I mean, it's, it's really difficult when you look at what their makeup is. How are they going to be able to solve these problems? Because I think that they do have talent, but you got to have that talent mesh. And bear got to keep in mind, they brought in an assistant in Kevin Nickelberry who brought in talent as well. Nickelberry previously on Will Wade's staff. At LSU but sometimes you get a divide between the returning players and the and the incoming transfers they got to find a way to mesh I'm
0: talking to John Fanta previewing the big East and John you mentioned to Paul I'll go into the blue demons and save the other two teams for last because one is central to this site's coverage and another is the reigning powerhouse of the big East but we'll get into the blue demons just a little bit Nick on is still injured R&A has been out so Tony Stubblefield and the Blue demons really haven't had the optimal roster up front. Eral Penn, the transfer from LIU, has been forced into maybe a little bit more of a role than they had envisioned for him at the start of the year alongside Javon Johnson and Umoja Gibson, the Oklahoma transfer. Caleb Murphy is on his way back to South Florida, transfer who was projected to play point guard. Where do you gauge DePaul right now, given the asterisks injury-wise, and the somewhat incomplete nature of this program now without David Jones, and we'll get into him a little bit later when we talk about St. John's. This team already has a lead game on its resume in the loss to the Red Storm at Karnasek Arena. John, what what have you seen from DePaul, good, bad, or indifferent, that could be a blessing for this team as the year goes on
1: or could be problematic? I got to tell you, I think this team – could be interesting in Big East play, could be feisty. Because Javen Johnson's 23 years old. Umoja Gibson is a man as well. I mean, he's experienced. And Erol Penn, to me, was one of the steals in the portal coming over from LIU. He's averaging 11 and 8 per game. And he's really, he's given them a, a physical edge at times with the way he's played. Look, this team does have their defensive issues. I think they struggle to guard at times. And I think that has to do with look, losing on Genda, brutal, brutal. I mean, he, he was supposed to be their rim protector. He was supposed to be a guy that really stepped up. Kayla Murphy's got to be big time for this team to, to take that next step. Jaden, I like the way they're scoring it. They're making 44% of their shots. They're averaging nine and a half triples per game. So offensively, I'm not worried about that, but rebounding and defense, is so important in the Big East. you got to be able to rebound the basketball and defend at a high level, and that's what's kept DePaul from winning games in the Big East. But I do think they've got pieces. Like, there's no question, again, they've got power conference quality talent. And i got to tell you, Jaden Daly, teams like Seton Hall this particular year, Butler, this particular year providence this particular year you watch DePaul could pick off one of them if not two of them you know why they score and some of these teams are having trouble scoring the ball efficiently against better defenses and DePaul's not great defensively but sometimes these teams are struggling to score because that's just how they are it's not even what's on the other side defensively I think DePaul could score I think they can get tempo I think they can make things happen. This team could be a bit of a feisty one in the Big East. And one thing is evident with when you watch DePaul, they play hard. They play hard. Dave Leto teams didn't always play hard. Look, DePaul's a top 100 team. Make no mistake about it. NIT would be a huge positive for them. Can they break through? We'll see. They're shorthanded. The injuries have been tough. But I do think there's a chance that they could have some breakthrough moments this particular season because. I really like Javon Johnson. I think he's a killer, and I think he's only flown under the radar because he's been hurt in the past. But this year, he's having a big-time season.
0: Talking to John Fanta, Fox Sports, Biddy's Digital Network, Field of 68, two more teams to profile in our Biddy's preview here on the Daily Dose of Hoops podcast. And we'll go to the team that beat DePaul in the Biddy's Slidlifter back on December 7th, the St. John's Red Storm, the Bipolar St. John's Red Storm at 10-1. and one. one more non-conference game for Mike Anderson and the Johnnies, and that's this Saturday against Florida State before getting back in the lead play against Villanova on December 21st. We'll get into the Wildcats after we take a look at St. John's where the Red Storm has David Jones the DePaul transfer within the conference, and he's done very well. But the biggest surprise, the biggest development, and maybe – Outside of Adama Sonogo, the second best big man in the Big East, the Fordham transfer, Joel Soriano, who is out there doing what Angel Delgado did routinely a couple of years ago, getting double-doubles every night. What can you say about his development this year and how much it has changed this St. John's team and its outlook?
1: Uh, Joel Soriano is the most improved player in the Big East Conference at this point. No question. Absolutely. He's averaging 15 and 13 per game. Like you said, he's making double-doubles look routine. I love the way he invested in his body and his attitude over the offseason. He made it a priority to get in the weight room, to get extra work in. He is the best development of Mike Anderson and his staff being able to help a player get better. He's the best case thus far. He really is. He's the best example of it. And you got to give credit to the staff because they've gotten Joel in the best shape of his life too. They've gotten him to play the best basketball of his career. David Jones was a positive add. We knew it would be. He's a bucket getting wing. And when you lose Julian Champagne, Jaden, you got to find a way to replace that scoring load. Here's the deal with St. John's. The deal is quite simple. They've turned the ball over 154 times on the season. In 11 games, that's too much. It's too much. They have to slow down at times. Sometimes they're too fast for their own good, and it results in bad decisions. They also don't really have a resume. They've played 11 games. They haven't done anything to really help themselves significantly outside of the Empire Classic championship win, which we give them credit for that, and they would be a tournament team today, but just as quickly as you could be a tournament team, Jaden Daly, now they go in the Orange Bowl Basketball Classic on Saturday against Florida State, and let's face it, Jaden, do you and I and everybody else in the Johnny's Nation, do you cringe a little at the thought of that matchup? The answer is yes, because you know Florida State's going to be playing better. They already are playing better. They, they gave Virginia a game. Leonard Hamilton's team got off to a bad start to the season. It's not who they actually are. St. John's has got to be more efficient. At some point, it catches up to you when you're only going one speed and you run into problems. But I like this team. And the difference with St. John's is they've got a guy in the front court who can hold his own, who can hold his own. That's a big difference for them because in the past, Jaden Daly, St. John's under Mike Anderson has had a mighty time rebounding the ball. That's no longer an issue.
0: Talking about Joel Soriano, but we'll go to the backcourt a little bit here. The big concern in the offseason was the dual point guard dynamic between Posh Alexander, the incumbent, and Andre Curbelo, the Illinois transfer, and whether or not they would be able to coexist. I think it's safe to say they've done more than just coexist, John. They've done an excellent job together as the two leaders of a backcourt that also includes a veteran in Montez Mattis a steady player in Dylan Adewusu, even if some of the decisions he makes can infuriate and befuddle St. John's fans. But what can you say about how the two of them have Alexander and Curbelo have played off of one another through this non-conference season. And in most cases lifted St. John's I think Curbelo has been a very pleasant revelation more often than not. Your thoughts?
1: Absolutely. Curbelo has, has been very solid. And it's done a lot of good for St. John's, averaging in double figures. He's only made seven threes, but, but it hasn't been the type of thing where you're saying, oh, man, like he really he can't shoot it at all. He can. And you know what, Jaden? He's shooting close to 50% from the floor. So that, to me, if you would have said to a St. John's fan ahead of the season or even Mike Anderson, look, Corbella's going to shoot close to 50%, he would have said, where can I sign? For me, Posh Alexander's got to shoot the basketball better. The fact is, Alexander hasn't gotten better from beyond the arc. He's only made two threes on the entire season. His shooting's been an issue. How do they set him up for better looks? How do they set him up for more productive looks? Because at the end of the day, Posh is great defensively. And by the way, the fact that Corbello's leading the team in steals and not Alexander tells you how welcome of a sight corbello has been. But Alexander's got to be better on the offensive end of the floor. That's a, it's a big key to this whole equation for St. John's.
0: And when you have shooters off the bench, the likes of Raphael Pinzon, who's starting to get more playing time, and A.J. Store as well, the freshman who's also starting to find his way. John, how much brighter does this season look for St. John's? Obviously, there's going to be a few landmines in Mid-East play against a very strong top side of the conference. If St. John's wants to make its hay and make noise on the bubble with a resume that needs to be furnished and improved upon as the year goes on where do you start
1: well you start with half court offense execution being able to get high percentage shots being able to make things happen um you got to have jones you got to have the right people with the ball in their hands laid in the game so Corbello's going to be that that playmaking guard He and Alexander can do those things. I think Montez Mathis is important to this. When they get good production out of Montez Mathis, good things seem to happen. So Jones is the the primary scorer. I I like this team supporting Cass. I think A.J. Storr is encouraging, and I think he's only going to keep getting better. And Ade Wusu to me, like for St. John's fans who don't like Ade Wusu, I think he does a lot for them. I think he's a real X-factor player. For me, it comes down to closing. It comes down to making the right plays late in games, because last year this team played a wild amount of games decided by six points or less. And I think on the year they only ended up winning four of those games. And Jaden, they played a boatload of them. I mean, last year, St. John's half their games were, basically decided by six or less, and they, they came away with, with just not even a, a full handful of, of victories in such occurrences. They got to be better in those scenarios. To me, the talent level's there, but the intricacies have to come too. Do I think this team will make the tournament? I do. I do. But I think for them, when you look at their Big E schedule, can they go to Villanova and win next week? That would make a statement to the rest of the conference that, yes, this isn't the same old St. John's, that, yes, they they are a team that you should believe can be top four in the Big East. Then you host Xavier at the end of the month. You got to get Xavier once probably, so that's the best chance to do it, do it. Then at Seton Hall on New Year's Eve, it's been years since St. John's last one at the Prudential Center. So the, the, not, the Big East schedule starts tough. I mean, it starts with a couple of real – Challenges. They've got a window in February. they got a nice window in February at Butler. I, I think that St. John's can win that game home Providence at the garden at DePaul home Creighton Carneseca at Georgetown. What have other St. John's tournament teams done in the past. Jaden Daly, they've made a February run. They've made a February run. Can St. John's be around 500 in conference play when the month of February kicks in and then can they win four out of five or five out of six. That's what we've become accustomed to seeing when they've made the tournament. That's what needs to be in place this year.
0: With John Fanta previewing the Big East, one last team to cover, and it's going to be the last team that opens its conference season, and that's the class of the lead for so many years, Villanova. The Wildcats welcome St. John's to the Pavilion on December 21st. Year one under Kyle Neptune started out a little slow. The injury to Cam Whitmore, Justin Moore, has not come back yet from his Achilles injury, suffered in the NCAA tournament last season, but the Wildcats have found a groove. Defeating Oklahoma, Wells Fargo Center, and defeating Boston College as well this past Saturday. One more non-conference game, that's the Holy War against St. Joe's. The transition from Jay Wright was never going to be easy. It was never going to be seamless. It was as smooth as you could get with Neptune, who has been there seemingly forever before he took over at Fordham for one year last season. Sean Villanova this season, how would you best describe what the Wildcats have done and get us caught up to speed on the longtime kings of the Big East?
1: Right. Well, look, they're they're king until somebody takes the crown from them. And there's never been a better chance for that to happen than this year. However, I still think there's a glimmer of hope for this team, even though they were two and five to start the season. And that's because Cam Whitmore is different, Jaden Daly. He gives them a different edge, a different dimension. He is tough. I mean, he's come right in, already third-leading scorer, averaging 16 points per game through three games. He makes them just different in every way. Tougher to guard. His length and versatility is special. And he can do things that Villanova wasn't doing previously without him. He's a one-and-done talent, something that Villanova has not had in 25 years. So when you have someone that possesses that athleticism, that explosiveness, that playmaking ability, all those things lend themselves to, because he can create his own shot. Now you have a guy that's giving you what Justin Moore was supposed to give you at the start of the season. And that then brings up, the million dollar question. When are we going to see Justin Moore come back from his Achilles injury and how close will Justin Moore be to the Justin Moore that we saw that was performing like one of the best players in the big East last season. So this is really interesting and it's going to be an interesting development to watch of when Moore comes back. But here's what we can say. Caleb Daniels, Eric Dixon, Brandon Slater. They're all good players, but they weren't being the alpha guy early in the season and Daniels can be that guy now because he's got another in Whitmore who plays like a a guard on on the wing and can make shots from the perimeter and just you gotta account for him when you're on defense you've got to fully account for Whitmore I thought Villanova early in the season You could say, we'll let Chris Archdiakono shoot it. We'll let Mark Armstrong shoot it. We'll let Brandon Slater take a shot. Slater's a 26% three-point shooter. Whitmore, you can't do that with. So now you got to play on Daniels, on Whitmore. Dixon's a a terrific post presence. For Villanova, they got to rebound the basketball better than they've been rebounding. They haven't been a great rebounding team. They're actually getting out-rebounded on the season. They don't turn the ball over. Their lowest turnover rate in college basketball, that's big. They could use more batches to give them something. But this team, this team can still be a factor in the Big East because Whitmore is next level and gives them a different dimension. And you just know with Villanova, Jaden, even though it's a different leader on the sidelines, even though it's different personnel, even though they don't have elite point guard play, There's something to be said about being the past king. You just brought it up moments ago that they've been the past king. There's a psychological factor still, in my opinion, to playing Villanova. I think it exists, and Whitmore's versatility and ability to create his own shot has given them a different dimension.
0: Cam Whitmore, Villanova's best freshman prospect you mentioned since Tim Thomas. And in recent memory, the last time the Wildcats had a freshman this impactful was Amari Spellman on the national championship team. He was a redshirt freshman. What sets Whitmore apart and how much more exciting is this rookie of the year race between he and Donovan Klingen going to be?
1: Yeah, interesting, right? I mean, I think now because it was really going to be the UConn award for the first four weeks of the season. And it basically was that now this opens up the door. And and by the way, I want to bring up Mark Armstrong, because I think Mark Armstrong's only gotten better from game one to now, and they're going to rely on him to, to do some things that maybe they, they haven't relied upon freshmen to do, but he had thirteen points, seven rebounds, three assists against Boston college. I like the way he's come on as for Whitmore. I mean, I, I, I think that Whitmore from a scoring standpoint, from a role standpoint, could very well be the freshman of the year, Jaden, because as good as Klingon is, and he's been great, Milanova's gonna requ- require more from Whitmore than they than UConn's requiring of Klingon because Adama Sinogo's on the same team as Klingon in an embarrassment of riches situation. So for me, what makes Whitmore different is physically, I mean, he's got an NBA ready body at six foot seven. He's shooting the basketball 50%. You know why? He can make his own shots happen. He creates his own shots, and he does so in an easy way. The game comes easier to Cam. He's only averaging 23 minutes per game, and he's posted 40 points and 13 rebounds in the last two. So he's to me, he's just he's just a different level talent. With him, you feel like he got a shot against most teams, and because his game's more all-encompassing, nothing against Klingon, but at seven foot two, you know where you're going to find Klingon. The fact is, Whitmore's just got a different. There's a different level. There's a different level to Whitmore and a different role being required of him that would lead me to believe I think he pulls down freshman of the year honors when it's all said and done.
0: Talking to John Fanta, Fox Sports, Big East Digital Network, Field of 68. One more before I let you go, John. As this conference season kicks in the high gear and gets underway in full swing, what are the storylines you're looking forward to over the next three and a half months Give me as many as, as you want and the most impactful, John. What are you looking to see from this Big East season all across the house?
1: Here are the five things that I look at in the Big East that intrigue me the most in conference play. Number one, UConn looks like the clear front runner by a significant margin. Will it stay that way or will we see somebody else rise up? And the Huskies now have a firm target On their back. How will they handle that? But the Huskies look like the deepest team in America. Will they be able to keep it that way? That's number one. Number two. Who emerges as the fifth best team in the Big East? I believe that UConn's one. I believe that Xavier right now is two. Creighton's still three. And at four, you got to put Marquette. If Marquette's not higher, who's five? Who's five? Who jumps into that group of five, if you will? Will it be St. John's? Will they show that they are, in fact, for real? Will it be Butler? Will it be Providence? Will it be Seton Hall? Or will it be Villanova? Which leads me to number three, the Johnnies. Can the Johnnies break through in year four of the Mike Anderson era? They've yet to make the NCAA tournament under Anderson. This needs to be the season or so. It feels that way, Jaden Daly. That's why I put so much importance on the Johnnies. And they're in New York City. College basketball is better when St. John's is relevant. That's why St. John's is my number three storyline. Number four, will Bryce Hopkins fully blossom in the star Ed Cooley thinks he can be meaning? Can he lead them to Big East wins? Will he play a factor? I think that Providence is a team that could have a nice run towards the NCAA tournament, but they got to start to package it together, and it starts this Saturday when they travel to Seton Hall to take on Pirates, which you're going to have a great podcast ahead of that game. And number five, number five, will the Creighton Blue Jays get back on track? The Blue Jays started the season 6-0. and They look like a Final Four caliber team. They've lost five in a row. If they don't get back on track, that would be really disappointing because this was supposed to be a huge year for that program. And they have not been able to live up to expectations in recent weeks. Yes, they've been down Ryan Kalkbrenner, but nobody thought Creighton would be losing five games in a row at any point this season, and that has happened. How will they respond? Greg McDermott tweeted on Tuesday, he's not getting up on this team, and you shouldn't either. Let's see if they back it up this Friday in Milwaukee, which if I had a sixth, it would be Marquette. And Marquette is a real dark horse, not just in the Big East, but nationally.
0: Nobody covers the Big East like the patron saint of the Big East, John Fanta, Fox Sports, Field of 68, Big East Digital Network. A busy man all over the place covering everything under the sun. John, I can't thank you enough for spending as long as you did with us going through the Big East with a fine-toothed comb as only you can. Appreciate it, as always, my friend. We'll see you later tonight
1: in Newark. Thank you so much, Jaden. See you in Newark. And looking forward to hearing your pod on Seton Hall in Providence and what should be a fun one on Saturday afternoon at The Rock. Always a pleasure, my friend. Let's do it again soon. Amen, John. Always a pleasure.